Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. John Epperson. Hello, everybody. Luke Stutters. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we're talking to and- Andy Malley. Andy, do you want to introduce yourself, let people know who you are and why you're famous? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm famous yet, but uh, my name is Andy Malley, and I've been uh, uh, a Ruby developer since about 2006. I've done I've done software engineering for about 18, 19 years, and I've built Glimmer in Ruby, which is a desktop development library. It's an open source project. Gotcha. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there, and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So do you want to just kind of give us the 10,000 foot view on what Glimmer is? Yeah, sure. So uh, Glimmer is a desktop development library that basically leverages all the full potential of Ruby in order to provide a very productive and good experience of developing desktop applications in Ruby. So some, some of the examples that, of, of things that Ruby Glimmer helps with is giving you conventions in order to work more in the same style of Rails development, like convention over configuration, as well as giving you a domain-specific language, a DSL, to build GUI in a declarative fashion so that you write a lot less code, maybe one-fourth of the code or even less that you would write building desktop apps without Glimmer or even in other languages like, say, Java or C++. One last thing gotcha. is Glimmer provides data binding support as well, bidirectional data binding. I believe it's the only Ruby desktop de- uh, development library that provides that feature, which greatly uh, improves productivity in uh, synchronizing uh, view data with model attributes. Cool. I, I want to get the story behind this, but I'm I, I tend to like to kind of go with what have you seen people do with it, right? What what is it capable of? So I mean, there are a number of apps built with it that are some are closed source and some are open source. As far as closed source, the biggest app I've seen was somebody visited a company that I was working at in Chicago a while back. Uh, who showed me a medical app, a full-fledged medical app built with Glimmer. That was a desktop application, and that was uh, pretty rewarding to see. But other than that, I know there are a few people that are building some closed-source apps, But and I, I built a number of open-source apps in it, like games, like Wordle or Tetris, things uh-huh. like uh, a small desktop project management app that an interior designer is using right now at a, an architecture business and even a small IDE called Gladiator. It's it's open source. So, um, yeah. So why'd you build it? Because it seems like there have been other systems out there for this kind of thing. So my background at the time when I came up with Glimmer was I was a Java desktop developer. I was building apps using, I built apps using Swing, Java Swing, as well as Java SWT. I liked SWT because it enabled me to build apps in Java with all the productivity of Java that looked just like apps built with C++ with full uh, native widgets on Windows, Mac, and Linux. Mm -hmm. However, I I discovered Rails in around 2006, and I was fascinated by how productive it was. I mean, you write at least a quarter of the code that you would write in Java to do the same thing, and it was... I could deliver much faster in Rails. So I wanted to bring the same productivity benefits to desktop developer uh, development in Ruby. And the libraries at the time, like GTK, TK, and WX Ruby, were not very, I mean, they worked, but they, they did not have APIs that were declarative. They were more 
kind of like writing Java code, but writing it in Ruby. So they did not really improve that much over building desktop apps in Java. So I wanted to fo- push Ruby to the, to its you know limit to try to build a desktop framework. And the only thing I found was Shoes at the time that was trying to do that. Mm-hmm. But Shoes, Shoes had reliability issues that would crash randomly. And also it had, it was, it was not supporting some of the most important business widgets like table and tree. So that was a very big problem that made it a non-starter for building desktop uh, business apps. Shoes also had a look and feel that was a bit like the web, which, which is a bit inappropriate for small desktop apps. The whole point of desktop apps is you just use simple widgets and you're able to deploy and deliver apps very quickly on the desktop without having to worry too much about styling. So, um, so yeah, so these are all the reasons why I ended up building Glimmer. Oh yeah. One last thing is data binding. I wanted to have data binding support, which I had in Java using the SWT JFace uh, data binding library. So I wanted to have the same thing in Ruby. And uh, I was able to make it even better than th- whatever I had in Java. Like in Java, if I, want, if I wanted to data bind a table, it would take me a page of code. In Ruby, it was like a single line of code. Very cool. I think somebody else was trying to chime in when I asked my last question. So Earlier, I was just kind of wanting to ask, so what kind of, from like a performance perspective, so one of the things, for example, one of the things that I noticed a lot about like Electron apps is they have like a little bit of a laggy feel to them. Does this feel like pretty native? No, uh, this is quick. You know, without that kind of like input lag and stuff? No, it's, it's, I've got to say, I've, I fired it up. This is basically as fast as a totally native desktop app. It really is very slick. Yeah, like uh, to, to answer to answer a question with an example, like uh, if you build an app using the Glimmer DSL for SWT library, it basically uses JRuby and JRuby will uh, end up calling out to the SWT library. And the SWT library is actually architected in a way where the Java code will call out to C or C++ code behind the scenes. So what I'm trying to say is the app, although it's written in Ruby or JRuby, the GUI part of the app will execute immediately in C++ because it's wrapped by Java, which is wrapped by JRuby. And the GUI part will execute always immediately. The Ruby code might have, you know, uh, Ruby performance characteristics, but with desktop apps, it's so simple. Usually the logic app of desktop apps that it runs very fast. There's no delay usually. Awesome. It is, it is quick, but... I'd like to get into what Glimmer is, because it's not just a way of writing a desktop GUI app. It's almost kind of like a framework on top of various different backends to to write a GUI app. Is that right? Yes. Glimmer started out as one library for one GUI toolkit, which was SWT. But eventually... I, I had this idea of why not bring the same benefit to other GUI toolkits. And uh, one example is LibUI. LibUI is a C uh, library for building GUIs. And I figured, you know, JRuby has a bit of a slow uh, startup time. It's like three seconds maybe on the latest ARM64 processors. However, CRuby starts immediately. So if I can wrap something similar to SWT with the same Glimmer DSL technology, I could I get the same benefits, but in C Ruby, and that's why I ended up extracting Glimmer as its own DSL framework that can be used to build any Glimmer DSL, and then I built DSL Glimmer DSL for LibUI in it, as well as Glimmer DSL for Opal, for example, which lets you use the same syntax but build web GUI with JavaScript using Opal Ruby. So the Opal the Opal is a bit of a kind of mind bending thing, right? Because what that's doing is using the declarative GUI builder in Glimmer to build a website. Yes, to build the front end of a website. Yes, exactly. I haven't got into that, but what inspired you to do that? Because that is like a pretty crazy thing to do. Well, well, I mean, in my opinion, any Rubyist who's a true Rubyist should be excited about Opal because it lets us write Ruby code on the front end, which, you know, JavaScript has always been hated as one of the ugliest like programming languages and even with all the newer new AES incarnations it's still not as nice as real ruby so opal ruby gave me this idea of what if i could write a desktop gui and then take that exact same code and move it to the web and execute it using opal ruby and by switching the back end it'll automatically get processed into javascript 
and then displayed on the screen. So I was able to get most of the samples that are in the Glimmer DSL for SWT libraries. I was able to get them working in Opal, including Tetris. So it is an experiment. That project is more of an experiment. I wouldn't say it's a completed project by any sense. And I'm, I'm still evaluating the idea because I am a big fan of DHH's recommendations in Rails 7 to actually almost not write any JavaScript at all, like avoid any JavaScript and just rely on the back end. I think for simple apps, that's even better. But for apps that do need very elaborate GUIs, I'm, I'm actually right now experimenting with the idea of using a Glimmer DSL instead of all the you know, complicated JS frameworks. So that's, that's the reason why I came up with that, with Glimmer DSL for Opal. Yeah, I've been playing around with some of the examples that you have here with the little contact form and the table graphs. And that's really cool. Uh, the DSL that you have, it's very Ruby-like. So I think the adaptation of this wouldn't be too steep of a learning curve. What are some of the more complicated UI components that you can do with Glimmer that otherwise people would think, oh, you need to use a real desktop framework or like Xcode or something like that, or Swift UI or something? So you can build custom widgets in, in Glimmer DSL, DSL for SWT, for example, or even Glimmer DSL for LibUI. And custom widgets enable you to build any visual concept into your own widget with your own ideas. But but the good news is also I can reuse all the available SWT custom widgets in Java inside Glimmer DSL for SWT when running in JRuby. So the biggest uh, example I built with this was this uh, project management app that has a Gantt chart. And a Gantt chart is a very, very complex widget, a very complex visual concept that involves, you know, laying out tasks, connecting them with arrows, and having them automatically readjust when you change the, the length of every task. And I was able to reuse that in Glimmer DSL for SWT instantly with no problem using JRuby. So the good news is that if there are any available widgets for, say, SWT in Java uh, that are used in the enterprise, you can already use them in Ruby today. So there's no problem there. And then if there is anything that's missing, you can build your own uh, visual concepts into your own custom widgets. So I cannot think of anything that I actually do miss from, say, writing uh, Swift code directly right now. And this might be a shot down question, but you know, I got to ask, is there any compilation or packaging for Glimmer? So can this be easily distributed to those who maybe don't have the Ruby CLI installed? Yeah, thankfully with the Glimmer DSL for SWT uh, JRuby version, it comes with, with support for uh, building native executables, like packaging uh, basically a DMG file on the Mac or MSI on Windows or Deb or RPM on Linux out of the box. So you actually do have that functionality with Glimmer DSL for SWT. It can package them and then it includes everything in it, including Java. So people don't have to install a single thing. Like they just have to install the, say, MSI uh, package on Windows or the damage package on uh, the Mac and it works right away. So this problem has been solved already for a while now in, in the JRuby version of Glimmer. In the LibUI, the Glimmer DSL for LibUI, I know that Okra, uh, the Ruby library, provides Windows packaging support. I do not, and I know there are a few options for packaging on Mac, but I have not had a chance to test them yet. However, some, some good news might be from coming from the fact that WASI support got merged into Ruby, which might simplify packaging Ruby applications for various platforms in CRuby. So I, I would look forward to that and experimenting with that to get that working with Glimmer eventually. What is WASI support? Maybe somebody else could chime in on that. I mean, I'd be happy to talk about it. Maybe somebody else knows about it too, since it's not a Glimmer thing. I don't know. It's basically... Uh, stuff? Mm -hmm, yeah. Go ahead. I know it exists. I'm not an expert at it. I just know that there's been work and basically having Ruby natively support WASM so that you can package Ruby apps as native binaries for the web with WASM. And I've already seen tests of that, like the Try Ruby webpage on the Ruby website will let you run Ruby code in the browser using either Opal Ruby or using uh, WASM directly. And WASI, I do not remember what the acronym was exactly for, but I know it, it helps with packaging Ruby 
inside of a sort of a WASM sandbox on various platforms like Mac, Windows, and Linux. And that's all I know about it. I, I have not dug further into it because I'm waiting for it to become final first. I was going to say that this actually gives me a reason to kind of care about WebAssembly again. I just kind of thought that it was ghostware. It's never going to happen. It's out there now. It's just the support on it isn't. It's not. It's not where we would want it to to work ideally with some of the stuff, and so it's it's hard to implement in some ways. And this is all stuff that I'm hearing from people. It's not. I, I don't have a. I haven't actually done anything with WebAssembly yet. So the browser. This has a lot more real though. Right? though. Go ahead. I used WebAssembly to mine bitcoins for someone else without my knowledge. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's in the browsers. Yeah, but just the development experience isn't quite ruby yeah as we would like yet. It's, I mean, it's it's just, yeah, I don't know. It just has always felt like it's just not ready. It's too hard to access. It's too hard to, there's not enough documentation around it, like for people to really like know what's up. And yeah, it, literally everyone that's talking about is like, this is coming. And so there's not a lot of people saying this is here yet. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, I know people are writing stuff in it. I know people are having success with it. I do not know. I, I know that, yeah, there, there's still con- some concerns over how you kind of bolt everything together. So, Can I tell the cool. story about it's... my awful Ruby desktop app? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. So I started off, uh, my first job in Ruby was actually programming Ruby desktop apps through uh, Ruby GTK. And instead of it being a, a declarative model, like Glimmer, you had to manually build up your page and your widgets from scratch. So you make each call to put each button on the screen, right? And then have a load of callbacks to handle uh, users clicking around with predictable results. But fast forward about eight or nine years, and I've learned Rails, and we had need. The customer needed a desktop app. And this desktop app had to run in Windows, and it wasn't anything that could be done by a web app. So I wanted to build this in Ruby, right? And it was a fairly sophisticated little thing just to copy files around, right? So just kind of download the file, put the file somewhere, yeah, as a kind of auto-downloader for a website. But so I fired up all of the available ways to do this. And of course, I had to look at shoes, I had to look at GTK, like if, if compatibility in windows and a couple more and what what i ended up with was okra which is a way of making an exe that runs ruby right so if you want to run ruby if you want to send your ruby program to someone in windows you use this uh, okra it sounds a one-click ruby application and they double click it and then after you double clicked it it just loaded up a black terminal window because I couldn't get any kind of GUI to work reliably at all. And so I, it just had text, like 1980s terminal application. I put some color in it. And then the configuration interface consisted of a JSON file, which was about a thousand lines of JSON. And whenever they edited it, they always used to make a little mistake in the JSON. And then the whole program would blow up. And they'd just be kind of phoning me up and I'd be copy pasting the JSON file into like a JSON linter online <laughs> to find the magic error because I just couldn't make a Ruby desktop app using the tools that I found. And I had shipped a cross-platform app using Java and uh, initially Swing, later SWT to get their native file chooser. But I just couldn't couldn't make it work you know in the time available so they just got they, they just got garbage basically they just got whatever i could throw together what i'm really excited about here is the lib ui this this is the new thing for me the lib ui that hugely simplifies deploying ruby to the desktop because you don't need jruby and you can just kind of drop in a really thin program that will look like a proper windows or mac OS app with minimal overhead but i understand that it's kind of alpha ish is that right libui itself is a mid alpha yeah what is the glimmer dsl for libui is actually complete it covers the entire api of it but the libui itself is a mid alpha uh yeah so that's what's declared on the project page meaning uh, they're still missing a few features before they could declare it complete 
like one of the main features that are missing are uh, are display of images, for example. Right now, there is very rudimentary support for displaying images. It's a bit slow. It's not, yeah, it's not well supported yet. Have you got anything that's running using LibUI or is it mostly still um, SWT? No, I built a few things with uh, LibUI. One of them... I mean, I was able to rebuild the Tetris sample in LibUI, and that worked pretty fu- pretty well. I also built the Bfunge programming language, like an IDE of it in LibUI, and that worked as well. That that might have been the most sophisticated like piece of software that I built with Glimmer DSL for LibUI, and it was leveraging an engine for processing the Bfunge programming language, which was actually written in Ruby. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the language, but it gives you a sort of a grid that lets you enter text like a character into every cell of the grid. And that is kind of like the program. And then you can execute the program. And it's a little bit like like the Turing machine and the way it works, like in how to process the program, moving from cell to cell in the grid. So anyways, yeah, I built I built that in Glimmer DSL for UI, and that seems to be working pretty well. I, I have not built any commercial apps with it yet, but personally, but yeah, I, I built a, a number of open source apps with it. So what features doesn't it have? Like what 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 is it missing or what are you working on adding to it? Yeah, I'm, I'm working hard right now on, on making Glimmer DSL for LibUI become uh, like become exactly uh, as feature rich as Glimmer DSL for SWT. The only missing features now, well, there are three missing features. One of them is uh, effortless declarative drag and drop. Uh, like in S- Glimmer DSL for SWT, I can simply designate any widget as draggable, and then another widget as the, the drop target, and then you drag and drop and it works. So I'm, I'm working on adding that to LibUI for, for custom widgets. And the second thing is uh, scaffolding for new apps. Glimmer DSL for SWT, it borrows the idea of scaffolding from Rails so that I can simply scaffold an app with uh, an MVC structure. So I need to add that to Glimmer DSL for LibUI. And the last thing is a native executable packaging. That's uh, the last thing I'd like to add to Glimmer DSL for LibUI that, that is missing from Glimmer DSL for SWT. There are ways to package stuff, right? So is this just a thing that you're just trying to bring it in to LibUI natively versus like, hey, you as the developer? Yes, yes. I just want to automate it. Okay. I want to automate it so that you run one command and it's done. Like in Glimmer DSL for SWT, you just run Glimmer space package and it does everything for you, uh, whether you're on Mac, Windows, or Linux. I mean, you can give it some more options too. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. I now feel like, I mean, I know that people have been able to write desktop apps in Ruby. But I like, as I'm like running through these libraries, I'm like, I feel like we're basically there. It looks really, <laughs> it looks really dang good. I'm sorry, guys. I haven't been paying attention to this particular aspect of Ruby for a while. And so. Yeah. And, and there's some more good news regarding Glimmer. Like in relation to the previous question, I got asked about how Glimmer became a, a sort of a, a framework, a DSL framework. So uh, part of the mission of Glimmer uh, changed when that happened, and I made it my my mission to support every GUI toolkit that's available in Ruby using a Glimmer DSL syntax. So the good news is, if somebody wants to only build Linux apps, they don't care about cross-platform. They might, uh, I mean, they might be able to do that with yeah LibUI or SWT. But if say they wanted full access to the GNOME like Ruby GTK features. I actually built a Glimmer DSL for GTK recently. So that way they can write Glimmer code specifically for GTK apps. I also built one for, uh, like I have a Glimmer DSL for TK. I did a Glimmer DSL for Swing, a Glimmer DSL for JavaFX, and a Glimmer DSL for FX Ruby. And these are all the toolkits that are available in Ruby today. I wish WX Ruby would come back because that's no longer available and supported. If it were, I would have supported it. I know Q- Qt Ruby is gone as well. And also, if it was supported, I would have supported it with a Glimmer DSL. But if, if they were to ever get supported again, I would be happy to support them with a Glimmer DSL in the future. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build 
relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So one thing that I always run into both, I mean, in like basically everything that I do with Ruby, but I feel like is more of a thing that I'm just thinking about like an app that I've always like wanted to actually like create a GUI around, right? And I was like, oh yeah, one of the reasons why I haven't mucked with this is because Ruby, from my experience, has always had issue like with like reading and writing files under certain conditions or whatever. So I'm trying to think like, geez, it has to do with like when has something to do with like file handling and like thread handling stuff is like the most common crash that I get with like pop open three. Or I, I don't know. Anyway, I was just kind of curious, like, are there like edge cases around like certain things? And this is the particular like use case that I was thinking like around like file handling uh, where stuff doesn't perform well. And that might not necessarily be like the fault of Glimmer. Or is there anything that like Glimmer, because you're you know, leveraging some of these underneath libraries actually handles better than like, you know, my CLI app, right? Because you're going through C or something. And so handling threads better, things like that. Are there some like wins that I'm getting here, I guess? Yeah. So in Glimmer DSL for SWT, given that it leverages JRuby, it, it actually has true multi-threading uh, using Java. And in all the apps that I built on Glimmer DSL for SWT, I never had any issues with threading. I simply start a thread whenever I need, and I do some work in it, and then I get back, and it's fine. Uh, I never even had issues that prompted me to need fibers or any of the newer technology like Ractors. Like, I never missed them, to be honest. Like, I thought threads were good enough. In CRuby, I, in Glimmer DSL for TK, when installing TK, it, you have to recompile Ruby with the TK libraries. And I believe it, it adds a library called pthread. And I think it adds true threading to Ruby, CRuby. In any case, I haven't had issues with threads in Glimmer DSL for TK either. I know that in Glimmer DSL for LibUI, I could not use threads the same way as JRuby because uh, they're not concurrent or parallel unless I use Ractors. So what, without Ractors, I tend to just... Whenever I, I need to have a thread yield to another thread, I tend to make it sleep for a few milliseconds. And that seems to work well enough for me to make the, the code work concurrently without any problems. So I, I have not had any major issues with threads. And as far as your question about files, I've always thought Ruby as being a good file language because it, it's kind of like Perl and shell scripts. It has very good support for reading files. So I'm not sure I followed what your question was there because I've, I've never had issues with files in Ruby. I'll find it really quick. It's just a thing that like, I don't know, it's obscure enough, but I've run into it a number of times, but I'll find it for later. So I'm a little curious, as you work on this, is it mostly written in Java then, or is it mostly written in Ruby? No, it is mostly written in Ruby. Okay. Actually, it's 100% written in, in JRuby. I didn't need to do Java for anything. Oh, I got you. That makes sense. Yeah, because you said it backed onto J, uh, JRuby. So, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, you could write Java code if you need to uh, and build uh, a component in Java and wrap it uh, in a JRuby component if you really need to, but I've never personally needed to do that right i know we've touched on this already but um i want to talk about app stores so in recent years the the app store has invaded the windows and mac desktops bringing in my opinion an enormous negative step and negative experience deploying desktop applications you've got a page on packaging and distribution for the swt Glimmer system through JRuby, but as a as a desktop developer putting out, you know, leading a charge in Ruby desktop, how has the, the move to these Windows app stores, Mac app stores, how has that affected your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, it certainly made it a lot more difficult to uh, install apps, meaning on the Mac, I'd have to approve the app from the privacy and security, whatever uh, system pre preferences options. So I'd have to go and approve the app from there after running it the first time before I can start it. 
And on Windows, it's less difficult. You can approve it right away. You don't have to go to a control panel or something to do it. But yeah, it certainly made it more difficult to, to start apps after you install them. Like you can install them just fine, but then starting them, uh, you need to pay attention to that. So on the Mac, I know that I'm using something called JPackage for packaging the apps, which is the Java technology. And given that my apps are built in JRuby for Glimmer DSL for SWT, they, they could be packaged uh, with JPackage. So JPackage gives you settings or options for passing license keys. And I toyed around with it one time and was able to license an app. And I believe if, if developers end up get, getting a proper license from Apple, they can license an app correctly. And then when they sub, uh, distribute it to customers, customers will not need to open and approve the app in privacy settings and their system preferences. So that will resolve that issue. And, and I know there's also another option for submitting the keys for your uh, Apple Mac subscription, uh, like Mac, uh, Apple Store, whatever distribution uh, subscription. Pass those keys, then the packaging app will, will apply them as well. I did, not, I did not personally submit any app to the Apple Store. Uh, so I, I couldn't answer your question fully, unfortunately. I, I, I need to get experience in that and I have not gotten it yet. So, But the option is on the table. Developers should be able to pass those extra options to the JPackage program that I use in Glimmer DSL for SWT. And they could be passed to the Glimmer command indirectly. And that should resolve those issues for how to start, like how to distribute an app to customers. I strongly dislike the direction Apple's going with their um, desktop. I mean, and especially Microsoft following Apple's lead, in my opinion, is crazy. I mean, the web is absolutely eating the desktop, as we all know, you know, being being kind of Ruby and Rails developers. The, the web is really leaping and is doing things which the desktop just can't in many ways. Um, so to make it more difficult for desktop app developers to deploy is crazy. But I suppose the one upside is the fact that you can monetize through the Windows App Store. You can monetize through the Mac App Store. Have you got any experience on kind of writing um, desktop apps and charging for them directly for release platforms? I mean, most of my experience was uh, in Java in the past. Most of my professional experience and it was mostly, I mean, back then there were no app stores when I was working on the desktop. And the apps were actually used internally by businesses also. They were not distributed to customers publicly. So I did not work on those sorts of apps that are distributed to customers publicly, like Microsoft Office, for example. Mm. So, yeah, I, I'm, unfortunately, I couldn't answer your question. But I, I, I do have experience with building apps that were distributed internally to customer staff to salespeople, for example, to help them do demos on their desktop computers to customers using those apps and and, and bring sales as well. Uh, did you have a specific question, though, with that regard, like regarding building apps that are distributed to customers? Or were you just wondering if it's been done in Ruby? I just wonder if it's been done, done in Ruby. I've got a crazy yeah. idea for, a, uh, for an app, which is essentially a desktop notifications thing. So it sits in the top right of your Mac screen. And then it does something like, I don't know, uh, notifies you about DHH's tweets. It's something, something amusing. And I would put that on the App Store and charge 99 pence for it, see if anyone bought it, uh, just as a kind of fun experiment. My own personal motivation for these apps is I do quite a lot of hardware integration through Ruby. So I have Raspberry Pis everywhere running various things. And I would quite like to have a non-web mechanism of talking to those things because they're generally not going through the internet. They're kind of, you know, around my own personal networks. So I'd love a Ruby way to write a desktop app which could send me notifications. Uh, yeah, the good news is you can build that app as a tray item app in uh, Glimmer DSL for SWT, which supports tray items, meaning keeping an app in the top right on the Mac in the top right corner as one of those tiny little icons. And so you could do that. Uh, and if you ever end up, I mean, you could lead the way perhaps of how to uh, pass the proper Apple keys to the Glimmer package command in order to uh, package it for submitting to the App Store. I mean, it, feel free to contact me online on GitHub or something if you ever do that or end up needing further help with it. Thank you very much. No problem.
One thing I'm curious about is, you know, we're talking about Apple and Windows. Uh, there are other desktop systems. No, they're on. That's sound- it, Chuck. No, they've all, they've all closed down. That's it now. I, yeah, I'm talking to you on a MacBook Pro, so... Uh, you know, I'm I'm in the ecosystem, but I'm just curious. You know, it sounds like it supports Linux desktops as well. Yes. Are there other systems that it supports that I, you know, that aren't one of those three? I recently got a request by someone on Glimmer DSL for LibUI regarding running on the Raspberry Pi, and I got help from someone who's helping me on the LibUI project, who's working on the back end of Glimmer DSL for LibUI, and he uh, he's working on the LibUI bindings to see to the C library. And he basically was able to demonstrate running it on, on the Raspberry Pi. And he shared a lot of screens, screenshots with us. So I know it's possible to run on things other than just Linux desktop. Uh, so yeah, also the Raspberry Pi should be able to handle it. And if you can, the other thing I'm wondering about is going toward mobile because um, on Android, they run Kotlin, but Kotlin's a JVM language, just like JRuby is. And then if you can transpile or compile Using LLVM to to a C or C based you know a C based language basically, I believe you can do some gymnastics to get it to run on an iPhone. Have you looked at possibly branching into mobile? Yes, absolutely. The best possibility right now seems to be Ruby Motion, mm-hmm. I, and I'd like to be able to wrap Ruby Motion with a Glimmer DSL. It's just I haven't had a chance to get to it because. Uh, it requires Xcode and a few extra tools. And at the time when I looked into it a while ago, I had an old machine. Anyways, I got a new machine recently. I should be able to take a look at it. I just haven't had a chance though, because I, because of being torn between many open source projects. But that's certainly uh, an interesting idea to be able to run Glimmer DSLs on mobile devices, perhaps using Ruby Motion, because it supports both iOS and Android, from what I know. So right, I, it does. I, 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 mm-hmm. Having published a Ruby Motion application to the App Store, it's gotten better, but there's still some major issues around it. And that is specifically the API. So I think a Glimmer DSL for Ruby Motion that is cross compatible with iOS and Android would solve that issue. But currently, today, with Ruby Motion, just using Ruby to make your UI for the iOS app does not excuse you from not having to know the Objective-C API library for iOS. And that is the biggest hiccup because the documentation out there is severely lacking. So if you need to make a simple alert, you can't just Google, you know, Ruby iOS alert or anything like that. You're going to have to dig into the deep into the documentation to see what the Objective C way of calling an alert is, and then translate that into a Ruby esque way of calling it. And it's very difficult. So it's almost easier to write Swift or Objective C in this case to create the iOS application than to use Ruby Motion. I know there had been some efforts, like with a bubble wrap. I think is what it was called to provide that. But then it wasn't the same for Android. So you still had like one application with two code bases inside of it. And Mm. that was like the biggest headache for me. So I think having a proper DSL through Glimmer for iOS and Android, you know, kind of piggybacking off of Ruby Motion, then that's going to really kind of change the Ruby game for iOS or just mobile development in general. I agree. If you want me to put you in touch with Amir Rajan, he's the guy that uh, bought and owns and runs uh, Ruby Motion, now Dragon Ruby. I- I'd be happy to make that introduction for you. Yeah, sure. That sounds good. I know they made, they use, uh, like getting into Ruby Motion and Dragon Ruby a lot easier more recently because mm-hmm. I believe now they support a free license of sorts that can get anyone started without having to pay right away. So, uh yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I would look forward to getting to know the people behind Ruby Motion. Yeah, I seem to remember hearing the same thing, but I, I can't, I can't remember details, and I don't want to, I don't want to confirm it without actually knowing it. So, very cool. So, what does the testing story look like if you're writing a 
Glimmer app? Uh, How do you mm -hmm. test it? So the good news is that Glimmer supports not just the MVC pattern, but also the MVP uh, model view presenter or even mm -hmm. MVVM model view view model patterns. So that means I can split the logic so that uh, uh, by using the bidirectional data binding technology, I could keep the models completely decoupled from the view. So the model code, unlike, say, with shoes, with in shoes apps, I remember seeing a lot of code where the model code is mixed into the view code. Here, you don't have to do that. The, uh, the logic could be completely well encapsulated in the models. And then you data binding to data bind the proper the attributes on the models to the view, and that will propagate uh, the the state of the models into the view, so that users can look at look at uh, say form fields and then interact with them. Uh, so that means you can then test the models cleanly without having to worry about the GUI or or view components in the tests. So that's a part of the story. The other part of the story is if you do want to test the view, Glimmer DSL for SWT was written mostly test first. Initially, it was written test first. Eventually, you know, it became more of a pragmatic approach, but still, it has a very good test coverage. And so, all the view uh, components have been have had unit tests, uh, so you can actually interact with the view components and test their property states in order to do assertions in your tests. No problem with that. You mentioned the model view presenter system. I'm, I I have heard of that, but. I think a lot of people maybe haven't. Is that something you prefer to an MVC approach? I tend to use a hybrid of both. I, I'm depending on the situation. I, I like. I think Glimmer in general encourages pragmatism and and doing what's good enough. Uh, so basically, uh, if you need to data bind a lot of view properties, then instead of data binding to the models directly. If you have to do some transformations on the data and the models before they show up on the view, what you could do then is build a presenter in between the model and the view. Uh, and then that way you would be using the MVP pattern. And the presenter becomes a sort of a, like a, a, an aggregate model that hides the low-level details of models. And then you do data binding between the view properties and the, and the presenter attributes. So that would be MVP. However, if sometimes I built very simple apps that don't even need that much data binding to begin with. So then I can just data bind the views to the models directly and bypass the presenter layer, not uh, because I wouldn't even need it in that case. And the controllers, I mean, MVC, the controllers are implicit in Glimmer. So whenever you add a, a say, for example, on widget selected event on button, meaning the event that gets triggered when you click the button, that event, mm -hmm. the handler of the event is the controller, is an implicit controller. So in general, you don't have to do explicit controllers, but if you do, you could do uh, MVP and build uh, the ex explicit controller as a presenter, basically. Understood. So one other thing that I'm wondering about, and I think you kind of alluded to some of it because you mentioned that you could build like a Wordle or something, but I'm wondering, you know, can you build video games? with this? Um, a Glimmer is designed for, uh, first of all, building desktop, uh, sorry, business desktop applications. Right. I think, uh, so I, I've toyed around building a lot of, say, board games, kind of like uh, Battlefield, for example, or uh, mm -hmm. Tic-Tac-Toe or stuff like that. Real, like, uh, highly interactive video games is not something that Glimmer is designed for. So uh, you, maybe you can build them, but I personally have not ventured there that much. I wouldn't say that Glimmer is optimized for gaming. I would say it's more for business apps. And then you can build simple games or board games or word games like Wordle in it. Uh, if you want to do something more like gaming intensive, then I would recommend Ruby 2D or Dragon Ruby, perhaps for that. Uh, right. But that doesn't mean it's not something that Glimmer could get into more in the future. But right now, I wouldn't say it's optimized for gaming. I would say it's only simple games and desktop apps. Right. Well, I know that Java offers some game engine stuff. I think the big dog in the space is Unity, and that's uh, C Sharp. Mm -hmm. But could you, I, I'm assuming you could pull in a Java library and you know do some of your GUI work. You might have to do it in JRuby or Java instead of 
Yeah, yeah. So using Glimmer DSL for SWT, you could use any Java library you want. So yes, if there is a gaming engine, I bet you could use it. Also, uh, SWT happens to support OpenGL as an advanced, uh, like a very advanced feature. I, I did not expose it through Glimmer yet, but uh, but it is something that I'm keeping on the radar because I know SWT does support OpenGL. So if needed, I mean, people could actually add that support themselves, given that the project is an open source project. So it shouldn't be an issue, but it's not something that Glimmer currently has ventured into. Yeah, that leads into the other question that I had, and that was, let's say that I have something I want to contribute, like maybe this, right? What's the process for contributing to Glimmer? Um, so you can contribute custom widgets very simply. And uh, I mean, you simply, uh, so the Glimmer DSL for SWT library has scaffolding support and you can scaffold apps, but also you can scaffold custom widgets uh, and you can scaffold uh, custom windows. So what you would do is uh, you would scaffold a custom widget and then uh, implement uh, all the visual concepts that you want in it. And then you simply distribute it on uh, GitHub. However, if you follow a convention in the naming, uh, so if you call it uh, Glimmer-CW for custom widget dash, and then the name of your widget, then people can run a Glimmer command inside their Glimmer project to discover your custom widget. So you can run Glimmer list gems, or yeah, or I think you could say list gems custom widgets or something like that. Don't quote me on this. It's, it's in the project uh, docs though, but uh, by running a command, you can list all available custom widgets. So right now there are about three or four custom widgets that are mostly built by me. But if anybody wants to add more custom widgets, they could do so in their own GitHub project. And then as long as they follow the naming convention, it'll get discovered easily by other developers. I hope I answered your question. What was mm-hmm. did, Does that address your concern? Were you thinking of things other than custom widgets? Well, I, I was thinking also along the lines of maybe beefing up your op- OpenGL support or adding... Oh, yeah, 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 got it. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So last year, somebody contributed drag and drop support to Glimmer DSL for TK. Like I had not gotten around to supporting that feature yet. And somebody was like, oh, I need that feature. And I like uh, Glimmer DSL for TK. And I'd like to support that. If you want, I can open a pull request. So I said, sure. And he went ahead and did it. And I I mean, I tested it and gave him some feedback to fix a few things. And after that, I merged his pull request. And now Glimmer DSL for TK supports drag and drop support that is as good as that of Glimmer DSL for SWT because I gave that guy advice on how to make it similar to SWT version. So, so yeah, so it's as simple as opening a pull request. Sounds good. Uh, what what do you prefer the pull request look like? Because I'm assuming that, and I've talked to other open source maintainers and one of the things that they run into is you get this huge, huge, huge chunk of code that you have to go through. So is, is there kind of a, a way that you prefer that those come in? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like in Glimmer, I follow something I called the Glimmer process. It's a process, software development process that I came up with uh, from my years of experience in software engineering that is sort of like a lean, like it's inspired by the Toyota lean processes for building software or or for building anything really. So uh, one of the key things in it is basically I like to build uh, features. I would say I would like to add features option by option and not the whole thing all at once. Uh, So it it depends on the size of the feature. If the feature is the work of less than a week, then that could be get merged right away. But if it's a Mm -hmm. feature that is the work of three months, I don't like to merge something like that right away. I would say people should divide it into small chunks that are tested, that could be tested independently and then submit submit them chunk by chunk. So like, uh, for example, if I wanted to do a breakdown, even drag and drop support, maybe I'll support first drag and drop of labels, like only dragging any label to another label. Mm-hmm. And that drags the text of it and drops it into the other label. Uh, next, you could support uh, dropping into text fields. Next, you could support dragging uh, maybe the value of a combo box box into a text field, et cetera, et cetera. So by, by breaking it down into tiny little features, that way we can make small releases and make sure the project uh, continues to grow in a reliable fashion instead of uh, having a sort of a big bang kind of growth that ends up with a lot of bugs. So that, yeah, that's definitely, I, I, so I, I definitely prefer this approach to uh, pull requests. Mm-hmm. I did want to 
do a little clarification on my question earlier, which you actually inadvertently answered uh, once I actually looked it up. So the issue that I have run into multiple times, I, I, I misspoke by saying it was file issue. The issue is like when you are shelling out to something and and then you have to handle both uh, the SCD and SCDR and your, what did I say, in, out, and error. Okay, so you have to handle all three of those or whatever, and they all happen in different threads. And if your buffer gets too, like if too much stuff happens in one buffer, it'll lock all your buffers. And um, you can have crashes, you can have, it, lots of things can happen around that. And you typically, the way to solve it typically is to actually like thread when you do that, which is not the easiest to do. But yeah, all the all the Ruby things for doing it, like provide it to you as if it's just something you can do inline. And then you just discover the problem when you are, have like large outputs from a shell output or something. Um, yep. That's actually what it was that I keep running into on like literally half of my projects, I swear. So I tell you what I yeah, that was what it is. But you already said that you handle threading or that there that there are ways for, for threading to be managed. So I tell you what I do, John, I um pipe it all to files and scrape the file. That's Don't a, I laugh, mean, it's a real thing. <laughs> no, it's true. I actually did that on one of my projects and I didn't <laughs> hate it, but I was not happy about it still. Uh, oh, the, the filthy world of software development. It feels I've like loading a, the torpedo tube and then firing, right? It uh, feels good, man. Anytime I can touch the file system just like it used to be in the 90s, that's my kind of programming. <laughs> can't stand these object database no SQL. Just give me files. That's all I want. I just want file system, file, happy, happy little files. I got an awkward question for you, Andy, which I think you're going to hate. And it's about web views. So a lot of the time when I've developed desktop applications, then you, I start off and you do like native widgets and you go and get your, your JSON thing from your website from your Rails app and you download your config and you build up a thing and you have users dragging and dropping their files in from the desktop and then you get to a complex page like a checkout or something like that and I just give up and I just load in a web view and just render whatever it is that I've already got in my Rails app. So what kind of support does Glimmer's various different backends have for that specific scenario where sure i want the users to have a native app but there's a point where i just need to kind of put my rails page into the desktop yeah so glimmer dsl for swt does support a browser widget it basically embeds a browser into your app so and i've used it quite a number of times uh, like it, it embeds webkit by default on the mac i've mm -hmm. also been able to get it working with chromium um, and on Windows, I believe it's, it supports Edge and IE as well. In any case, I've used it. So one good use for HTML, in my opinion, other than all the horrid uses, like overuse of HTML that we have today in web apps, is basically uh, styled documents, like being, being able to build documents with, you know, bolded, bolded characters, italic characters, colored words, etc. That's a very good use of HTML. So... Um, uh, one at uh, one time, I built uh, this math game for kids that was a bowling game. It's not it's not a real bowling game. It's basically you have to answer math questions, and then when you get the result, it shows you a bowling video as if you either had a you know you knocked all the pins or you missed some of the pins, etc. And it was just a fun game to uh, play with my nieces and teach them math. And uh, however, the help page. Uh, was written as an HTML document. So what I do is uh, when I display the help of the game, I simply open a browser widget and it, it displays that HTML document. That's the only reason why I use the browser in it. Uh, otherwise, I close the browser once the help is closed and you just use the app as a standard uh, Ruby GUI app. So if you really have to default to displaying a web view, you can do so with the browser widget. And uh, Glimmer DSL for TK might be su might support something like that as well using a TK browser widget, which I personally have not looked into, but I know SWT definitely has it and I've used it quite a number of times. So it's possible to use that if needed. But I mean, you'd have to use it with care because you don't want like, to default to having the entire user interface showing up through the browser. Otherwise you end up with all the problems of web apps of having, you know, like you have to maintain JS files and CSS files and HTML files. And uh, it's a lot simpler to just maintain one Ruby uh, code base 
in a desktop app than to do all of that. That's the whole point of desktop development. So as long as you're mindful of when to use them, uh, I, the browser widget could be quite useful sometimes. Thank you very much. All right. We're kind of getting toward the end of time, but I'm curious if anyone has any other questions before we jump to picks. All right. Let's jump in and do some picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Dave, do you want to start us off? Yeah, just have one pick, and it is Sticker Mule. So I recently, backstory, I've used Sticker Mule plenty in the past, but I've never had to order such a high quantity of stickers because I'm doing a career day at my kid's school the next uh, tomorrow. So ordered a bunch of stickers, and they sent me some free Sticker Mule hot sauce. It's really good. If you've never had the Sticker Mule hot sauce, it's really good. It's habanero, so it's somewhat spicy, but then it's also very sweet. So if you like that sweet and slash sort of spicy, it's definitely a good sauce to check out. Very cool. I like Sticker Mule as well. I've used them for a whole bunch of my stickers. John, what are your picks? All right, so I've got two. So my first one is that our our local Aldi has had uh, avocados for like super cheap. Uh, they're not all that awesome, but uh, they're cheap. And so we've we've just been picking them up and making lots of like egg and avocado toast. And it's pretty awesome. In fact, I just ate some for my lunch today. So it's delicious. Obviously, avocados can be crazy expensive, but when they're cheap, they're cheap. So and it's reasonably healthy for you. So that's pick number one. And pick number two is uh, I've used this gem before, but, uh, you know, I had a use case this past week and it's just really awesome to work with. But Pretender. So if you've ever like had people be like, well, if you've ever basically had a case where you had like admins and users and uh, you want to view what the user is seeing uh, from your login, Pretender is like super awesome at that. And uh, I know that I run into this fairly often on various apps. And I just had a case where I was creating an admin app where uh, the people that are my clients is adminning other admins. So there's like a whole chain of things. People need to see what other people are seeing and uh, implement a pretender. It's super easy to implement. It just freaking works. And yeah, and it basically allows you to uh, pretend to be somebody else. And it's great. There are other gems out there that do this as well. But I've I found Pretender a few years ago and I've liked it ever since. So that's pick number two. Awesome. Luke, what are your picks? I have one pick for you this week, Chuck. And it's a YouTube channel called Pwn Function, spelled P-W-N Function. Now, quite a few episodes ago, I picked the Polkit vulnerability on Linux as one of my picks. And what this YouTube channel has is 17 minutes of absolute pure gold where he delves into exactly how this vulnerability works and how to exploit it and the repercussions of it. And it's just a really, really interesting deep dive into how arguments and variables are uh, interact with from a kind of C level. And I went through the rest of the channel and it's fantastic. It's one of the best kind of deep technical channels I found. There's a little animated penguin if you're interested in that kind of, you know, C-level, low-level stuff or hacking and that sort of thing, it's a really, really great watch. Can't record enough. Pone, pone function on YouTube, and I'll stick a link to the Polkit bug. All right. I'm going to jump in with a few picks here. First of all, I'm going to pick a board game because that's what I do every time. The board game I'm going to pick this time is Pandemic Iberia. Now, this is there. There are a whole bunch of pandemic games. This one's pretty close to the original Pandemic rules. There are a few variations on it. So this takes place in Iberia, which, if you're not familiar, it's uh, basically Spain and Portugal. And you, you know, you move around and cure diseases, right? Things like that, just like you do in Pandemic. The difference is is that you can also place uh, water purifying tokens because this takes place in the 1930s is where it's set. So when you purify water, it keeps disease from spreading is the idea. You can also build trains 
And uh, then you can move along the train line more quickly than you can move across the board. And then the other analog is in pandemic, you can fly between cities. And in pandemic Iberia, if you're not using the train, you can sail from coastal cities. And when you cure the disease, the cards, instead of being able to like treat all the diseases in a city, what you wind up doing is you wind up being able to place those purifying tokens with the cards of the color of the disease you cured. Because technically you didn't cure it, you researched it because it's the 1930s. So beyond that, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the major gist of it if you're familiar with Pandemic. It's been pretty fun. My wife and her friends have been playing through all of the versions of Pandemic. And so uh, this is the last, I think this is the last one. And it's got two other variations in it, right? So you can play where the diseases are a little bit harder to deal with so they have all got like special rules and then the other version was i'm trying to remember what the deal was with the other version i can't think of it at the moment but anyway uh let me pull up board game geek and i'll tell you how complicated it is you've been playing for it i've been living through it yeah kind of uh let's see so board game geek says that it is it has a weight of it has a weight of 2.58 so it's a it's it's not a terribly complicated game but it's a somewhat complicated game but it's it's a fun one so i'm going to pick that and then lately another thing that i've been doing is i've been working on the automation for the podcasts and i've pretty much got everything wrangled for javascript jabber and so i'm going to start moving it to the other shows the tools that i'm using i'm just going to pick them because they're pretty handy uh, one of them is Podio. I think I've mentioned it before because I'm also using Podio as my CRM. And you can just pull in their different apps is what they call them. And then you can tie them together and you can build automations in it for free. The other thing that I like about it, we were trying to use Monday.com before. But the problem with Monday.com is in order for me to add all these other guys that are on the show, I would actually have to pay for a license for each of them. And that adds up pretty quickly when you have nine or 10 shows that I'll have three, three to five people on each of them. Um, it just it it was it wasn't financially feasible for me to do. And Podio allows you to add app specific users to uh, or uh, workspace specific users to workspace called Light users, and you don't have to pay for a license for them. So anyway, really digging it. Working on getting yeah JavaScript Jabber folks to start using it, and yeah, then we'll start moving things over. The other piece, though, is we're using Schedule Once for our scheduling. And so you have to connect them together. I'm using make.com for that. I've been using Zapier for a long time, but make.com has a handful of features that Zapier doesn't that are really, really nice. Uh, one of them is, is that you can actually fork your process. So meaning that you can put in a, a router. And so if it's if the user exists or if the guest exists in this case, right, then go ahead and add them to the the episode in Podio. Or if they don't exist, then create them, then add them, right? And then do the rest of the work. So that's pretty nice. The only downside that I've had to make is that in that feature in particular, there's no straightforward reversal to that, right? So what I mean is, is what I'd like to do is I'd like to have it fork on whether or not I have a user and or a, a guest, right, and create the guest or find the guest and then merge back together and do the rest of the process and it doesn't have a clean way to do that. So I've wound up duplicating some stuff or creating another process and telling it to call it, which isn't straightforward to make either. But overall, it seems to have a much easier me- method of managing stuff. So I'm moving off of Zapier and on to make. And then I'm using Globymail which is an email system for, it's specifically designed for Podio. And it allows you to set up emails and it'll send the emails. And when people reply to the email, it'll add it back to the item in your app. And so that's pretty handy as well. Anyway, I'm really, really digging all this stuff. And I think it's going to take a bunch of load off of my team that kind of manages all this stuff. The other piece of this is, though, is that I added a widget where Michaela, who's my VA, can add in suggested topics or the, you know, anybody else who has access to the workspace can add suggested topics. And then when it's approved, they just click on the approval and it will automatically send out the email to get it scheduled. It'll track the progress on the invitation and it allows the hosts 
the other hosts to approve invitations. Before, she's been putting them in a board on Monday, but since I'm the only person who can access it, I just kind of go, yeah, this is okay, and you know, we're going to skip that one because it's too simple or because it's not really relevant or whatever, right? And uh, so now these guys can get in and do it, or they can add their own suggestions and then just hit the approval themselves because I pretty much open it up to our hosts to invite people that they think would make good guests. So they could put it in and approve it themselves, and then it would send out that invitation. And if they reply to it, they just reply to Michaela, and she can jump on and help them get all set up. So anyway, uh, lots of cool stuff there. The piece that I'm trying to pull in now is right signature, which is kind of like, what is it? It's the e-signature systems that you e uh, doc. DocuSign. It's kind of like DocuSign, except it also integrates cleanly or is supposed to with Podio. I've been having a little bit of trouble with that particular integration. But from there, then I'm planning to start. I've talked to an attorney and legally, if a guest comes on the show with the expectation of being recorded and released, then Top End Devs owns the rights to the recording and we can do whatever we want with it. But I feel like it's better to give people kind of an explicit, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. This is what the expectations are. And by the way, we own the recording. And that way, there's no confusion. Um, I've had one or two people that got confused about that. and I've had to work with them to try and make sure that everybody's happy with the way things are going, because I do want our guests to be happy with it. But this way, it just clarifies exactly what we can and can't do. And it and then if anyone has a concern, you know, they can raise it. But that'll just be added to the process of coming on as a guest as you would just e-sign a document that says, I understand that this is what's going to happen, right? We're going to record it. We're going to edit it. We're going to release it and, and all that good stuff. So anyway, the, that's kind of the deal there. I have a friend that's using it for his uh, summits as well. That's kind of what got me into it. And I'm looking forward to using it for that. So as we get into Top End Dev Summit, or the Rails Summit, where we have DHH coming to answer questions in, in August. As I get speakers and all that stuff, I'm planning on pulling all that together there, too. So anyway, I'm going to pick all those things. And then, yeah, if you go to uh, topendevs.com slash conferences, since I mentioned that, I'm hoping to have the conference list up with dates here within the next week. So as as you listen to this, it should be up. You should be able to go and see when the conferences are and which speakers I've been able to line up already. So anyway, those are my picks. Andy, what are your picks? I figured, uh, you know, I've given enough picks with Glimmer, so I, d- I don't have any, really. Okay. If people want to connect with you online, where do they find you? Uh, GitHub. GitHub. There's also What's a Glimmer uh, Gitter chat room as well. Okay. Uh, my, my GitHub handle is Andy Optiva. Optiva is spelled O-B-T-I-V-A. So A-N-D-Y-O-B-T-I-V-A. Awesome. And yeah, if you want to put links to your GitHub and to the Gitter channel in the chat, we'll make sure they end up in the show notes so people can jump on. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you all for coming. And until next time, Max out. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.